Chapter Five of the Flower Garden. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Esther. The Flower Garden by Ida Dandridge Bennett. Chapter Five. Purchasing Seeds. Buying seeds is largely a matter of experience. So glowing are the descriptions in the numerous catalogues sent out that one may easily be led into ordering many worthless novelties and many desirable ones for which there is neither room nor sufficient knowledge of their wants to grow them successfully. Cheap collections, where one is requested to send ten cents for a catalogue and twelve packets of seeds, are worst of all. In buying flower seeds, as in everything else, one never gets something for nothing, not even experience, and cheap seeds usually prove a very poor investment. The only safeguard is to buy of trustworthy dealers whose seeds are offered at fair prices. Take, for instance, pansy seed. One ought not to expect to buy a fine mixture in a full-size packet, 250 seeds for less than 25 cents, while such varieties as giant trimardo and giant cassier should be fifteen cents or more, according to the place of purchase. A few of the old favorites, like the Snow Queen, may be bought in packets costing from three to five cents, and prove good value. But generally speaking, packets selling for less than five cents are to be looked upon with suspicion. Seeds bought at the grocers or other local dealers are likely to be old or inferior stock, the better class of seedsmen selling direct to the customer only. At the end of every season, seedsmen have a large stock left over. The best concerns destroy these, but the less scrupulous put them up as prizes for advertising purposes, or sell them to the local dealers. Some varieties of seeds retain vitality for years, like the morning glory, while others lose vitality in a few months or weeks, like the perennial flocks, which must be sown as soon as ripe. From this it can be readily seen how worthless some of the seed carried over from year to year must be. As an experiment, I planted under glass in the house, with more than usual care, a part of one of these trial packets of twelve for a quarter. From five of the packets I got just one plant, a lantana, while from the sixth I grew a number of inferior petunias. In striking contrast to this, I planted, under the same conditions, a packet of Bush Hill Pioneer Cyclamen, containing twelve seeds, for which I paid fifty cents, and secured eleven plants, every one of which lived, making four and a half cents apiece, for a very choice variety of cyclamen, while the one little common lantana cost me ten cents. The prices of one firm will frequently be much higher than those of another, equally trustworthy, the differences being caused, in most cases, by the number of seeds in the packets. A few firms now state the number of seeds in their price lists. This should become the general practice. There is manifest injustice in selling packets containing a quantity which is entirely problematical, and often much below what the purchaser has a right to expect. To advertise seeds, much under the usual price, and reduce the number accordingly, is a common practice. It is better to buy a few good seeds, and, by careful cultivation, bring the plants as near perfection as possible, than to buy a quantity of cheap seeds. 
one can join with a friend or neighbor and thus secure a larger variety at less cost than would otherwise be possible generally speaking i think it a great mistake to save one's own seed few choice varieties are fixed and so tend to run out in two or three seasons from fine strains of asters you may save seed that will give good results the first year but flowers grown from seed saved from these will show more or less centre so that fresh seed should be purchased every other year at least as the bees do not visit the asters so assiduously as other flowers they are less given to hybridization and come quite true from seed the trouble with them being deterioration the first flower on the plant is usually the best and should be reserved for seed by tying a string around it and labeling it if it is desired to keep the variety separate remove all other blooms on the plant as they fade allowing only the one selected to ripen pansy seed should never be saved as the ripening of it weakens the plant and checks its blooming pansies growing in a mixed bed never come true from seed and deteriorate rapidly growing pansy seed is work for the pansy specialist but if it must be saved a few plants should be grown in a bed by themselves and covered with a netting to keep off the bees which work incessantly over the pansy bed not more than two or three of the finest flowers on a plant should be allowed to seed all other buds being removed as they form and the plant kept in a high state of cultivation and supplied with liquid manure at least once a week during the season of seeding seed may be saved freely from poppies as they do not deteriorate appreciably and the hybridization constantly going on results in a wonderful variety of form and coloring the ripening of one or two capsules of seed does not materially affect the period of bloom but it is well to mark one blossom on each plant giving a preference to the terminal blossom on the main stalk as being usually the finest remove all other blossoms as they fade Perennial poppies will do better, however, if no seeds are allowed to form. Morning glories, cosmos, and verbenas sow themselves better than the gardener can, the plants being much more vigorous than from the hand-sown seeds. Verbenas mix badly, and are apt to hark back to the original purple strain or come striped. The seeds of the pink variety come true, I find, and some of the finest pinks I have seen were from self-sown seed. They range in color through all the shades from pink to deep rose. A fair proportion of whites may also be expected, but scarlet and red with a white eye are shy and rarely appear. Nasturtiums rarely come true from seed, and if one desires a particular color or shade, she must either buy fresh seed or grow that particular variety alone. If, however, one simply desires an abundance of bright flowers with a preponderance of yellow, orange, and scarlet, it is worth while to save seed, as its vitality is remarkable, and every seed may be expected to germinate. No variety of petunia can be depended upon when grown in a mixed bed. A particularly fine variety may be lifted and planted on the opposite side of the house, either in the ground or in a window box, or in a pot in the house from one exceedingly fine specimen of the large ruffled variety lifted and grown in a window box on the opposite side of the house from the petunia bed i saved a single pot of seed from which i grew the following year 
sufficient plants for a large bed. No two of these were alike in color, but they retained the immense size, ruffled edges, velvety texture, and beautifully marked throats of the parent strain. Some were a velvety crimson, nearly black, and some white with crimson blotches, and some showed rare shades of gray. Sweet alyssum sows itself, and the trouble is usually not to save, but to get rid of it. Candy tuft must be saved, but the fewer flowers allowed to seed, the better for the continuation of bloom. Where one does not actually need the seed, all flowers should be removed as fast as they fade. No one thing will add so much to the appearance of the garden as this, and nothing is more untidy than flowers gone to seed. Perennials are greatly benefited by having the withered flowers removed. Indeed, so noticeable is the advantage that some, like the monkshood, will give a second crop of flowers, and those that will not respond in this way will be more robust and bloom more freely the next year. Vincas, too, and hibiscus bloom more freely if not allowed to seed, while coleus should not even be allowed to bloom. Sweet peas must on no account be permitted to seed unless grown for the purpose. Seeds may be gathered from the Thunbergia, Marauda, Adlumia, Common Morning Glory, and Hollyhock without risk of deterioration or harm to the vine. Antrohinums suffer severely from seed-bearing, while the Ricinus, Lantanas, and Salvias may be allowed to seed freely. Agaratums look rusty when ripening seed, and it pays to go over them frequently with the shears. This will keep them fresh and full of bloom until frost. One flower-head will furnish all the seed one is likely to want. All seeds should be gathered when ripe, and the foliage dry. They should be exposed to the air in any convenient receptacle, except in the case of the thunbergias, balsams, and others having pods which snap open and expel the seeds to a distance. These should be saved in paper bags until perfectly dry, when they may be freed from their husks by sifting or winnowing, and stored in paper bags, envelopes, or boxes. It pays to save the florist's envelopes for this purpose, as they are already labelled. Never put seeds away unlabeled, and it is a good idea to add to the label the date, period of germination with the color of the bloom, height, and other data of interest. It is still better to keep a book of such information to which one may refer from year to year. There are frequent doubts concerning some operation, the season of starting the hotbed, the time it took a certain class of bulbs to bloom after potting, and the like. In all such cases, the notebook offers unimpeachable evidence. End of chapter 5 Chapter 6 of The Flower Garden This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Esther the Flower Garden by Ida Dandridge Bennett Chapter 6 Starting Seeds in Flats There are many choice seeds, especially in the greenhouse varieties, that cannot be handled successfully in the hotbed. Begonias, Gloxinias, Cinerarias, and Primulas among them. All seeds too fine to be covered, 
do better with house treatment. For starting these seeds, the shallow boxes or flats, as they are called, are used. Shallow cigar boxes, or the larger ones sawed in two and the lid nailed on for the extra bottom, make convenient sizes for the finest seeds. They may be used from year to year, if care is taken to store them away at the end of the season, where they will keep dry and ready for use. Holes for drainage should be bored in the bottom and covered with bits of glass or broken crockery. Fill with finely sifted leaf mould to within an inch of the top and shake the earth smooth and even. A smooth piece of board, three inches wide and as long as the inside width of the flat, with a handle that can easily be grasped, is indispensable for pressing down the soil, both before and after sowing the seeds. It should be stored away with the flats at the end of the season. Sow very fine seed broadcast, scattering it thinly and evenly over the surface and pressing it into the soil with the wood. It will be better to sow only part of the packet at a time. This will usually give all the plants of a kind wanted at one time, and if success does not follow this first trial, there will be seed left for another sowing. Label plainly with the name and date of sowing, and, when known, the date of germination. Give the soil a thorough watering by setting the flat in lukewarm water until the water rises to the surface, but not above it. When the entire surface is wet, remove the box, draining off all surplus water by tipping on one corner until the water ceases to run off. Cover the flat with a glass and sheet of white paper and place in a warm place. A shelf above a coal stove or radiator is an excellent location as it affords the bottom heat so essential in starting tender seeds. Seeds while germinating need but little light and a box on a shelf in a living room may be so screened as to not be unsightly. A shelf under another having a light valence is an ideal place as the heat strikes more on the bottom of the box leaving the top cool. Coarse seeds may be sown in rows and lightly covered, or enough fine white sand to merely cover may be sifted over them. Large seed, like the asparagus springeri, may be pressed into the soil to twice their depth, or the soil may first be covered with a thin layer of fine white sand and the seeds sown on this and covered according to need. Sand counteracts the troublesome tendency to damping off, caused by the presence of a minute fungus in the form of fine moss or thread-like filaments covering the ground. Since this is the result of too much moisture, the remedy is to remove the glass, allowing the surplus moisture to pass off and the dry air to strike the soil for a short time. Care must be taken that the dryness does not extend below the surface. Drops of water on the glass indicating too much humidity. The glass should be removed, wiped, and aired. Where the plants are not too close together, a crochet hook or hat pin may be used to scrape the moss or filament from the earth. This slight disturbance of the soil often serves to destroy the fungus. If the soil threatens to become dry, water carefully with a rubber sprinkler. If the dryness begins in the bottom, water as before by setting the flat in a pan of water. When the plants have their second leaves, give more air and remove the paper. In a day or two, set in a light, warm window, 
screening from the hot sun by placing a piece of white paper between the box and the window glass. Leave the glass partly off the flat to admit air, and when the plants have their first true leaves, remove it entirely for a part of the time. When large enough to handle, transplant the seedlings into other flats, setting them one or two inches apart according to their growth. When the leaves again touch, prick them out in two-inch pots of leaf mold, placing a piece of crockery over the drainage hole and filling with earth to within half an inch of the top. Plunge the pots into a box of sand in a sunny window until large enough to go out of doors. As soon as the roots fill the pot, shift to a size larger, using compost of two parts fibrous loam, four parts leaf mold, one part old, well-rotted manure, and one part sharp white sand, all thoroughly sifted together. This is called fine compost, while soils that have not been sifted are known as rough compost. To remove sticks and stones or hard bits of root, put through a sand or coal ash screen. A piece of wire netting, slightly gathered up in the hand, makes a convenient screen for a small quantity, and a box with a netting bottom for larger quantities of earth. By the time the plants again need shifting, it should be warm enough to bed out all those that are to grow in the open ground, while those intended for the house must be shifted from pot to pot as they outgrow their quarters, and be given such special treatment as the individual plants may require, always aiming at as thrifty a growth as possible. Plants intended for winter blooming must have all their buds removed, and their branches pinched back according to their summer development. Weak liquid manure may be given once a week during summer. Keep the sand in the sandbox wet at all times, but do not overwater. Water thoroughly and allow the earth to become nearly dry before watering again. This alternate moisture and dryness allows the wood to ripen and make a stockier growth, and one that will stand frequent changes of temperature better than the tender growth induced by overwatering. End of chapter 6